0: Deep inside every one of us is a lion waiting to be unleashed. Are you ready to be unleashed into your destiny? As we stand on the edge of time, the web of deception is being unraveled. Carl Joseph offers you the red pill and the keys to unlock the shackles of your mind. Get ready to be transformed by God's supernatural power. Let's join him now.
1: Friend, welcome to part two of God's remedy for rejection. Today we're talking about the SFC triangle. That's the shame, fear, and control triangle. From our source text, Genesis 3.10, and let me read it for you now. So he, Adam, said, I heard your voice, God, in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Friend, when the glory of God left Adam and Eve for the first time, they would never experienced a time without his glory. When that happened, there was a vacuum. Because the glory had left, they felt afraid and they felt naked, okay? They felt exposed, and as a result, they hid themselves. What did they do? They tried to grab fig leaves to hide their shame. It's the fear, shame, and control cycle. Afraid, naked, and hid. Because I am afraid of being shamed or embarrassed or humiliated, I'm going to control situations or circumstances to prevent further shame. Because I'm afraid of being shamed or embarrassed, etc, etc. It's a triangle. It's a circuit. It's a circle that can never be broken unless God breaks it, friend. But let me ask you this. What's your fig leaf? What are you hiding behind? Do you have one of those veneers where everything looks great from the outside, but secretly you have shame? Okay, you're struggling with pornography. You're struggling with whatever it is, you know, overeating, addiction to food. Addictions, friend, I believe, are the manifestation or fruit of the root of rejection. Addictions are merely the twig or branch of the tree. And we're going to get into that later on. People are seeking temporary relief from the pain in their heart. So they go for that food or the drug or the beer or whatever else to get that temporary happiness that once it's gone by, that hurt in the heart returns. But friend, when people feel shame and they're afraid of not being enough or appearing to not be enough in front of other people, they control. And then the next question is, how do they control? Well, there's three ways they control. Manipulation, intimidation and domination manipulating people and or circumstances to hide the fact that they don't want to be exposed for who they really are and friend jesus is your covering okay he is the glory that has covered you if you're born again and i pray that you be spirit-filled as well But if you're born again by God's Spirit, He is covering you, okay? His glory is within you. It speaks about it in the Gospels. The glory has returned inside of you. You can partake of that. You don't have to control circumstances anymore, okay? If you're trying to manipulate people without them even realizing it, if you're bossy and intimidating or bullying, these are actually aspects of witchcraft. Yes, I said it. They're actually aspects of witchcraft and arguably are rooted in a Jezebel spirit. You know about Jezebel. You can read in your own time. A famous person. But Jezebel, the wicked witch, needed, not the wicked witch of the West, the wicked witch Jezebel, needed a weak Ahab. She needed the passive male in that relationship because she was the boss, right? She was the one who manipulated, intimidated, and dominated the man of God, Elijah. But Elijah resisted, okay? But he had issues, man. He was going to commit suicide himself because he was worn down by the spirit of Jezebel that wanted to take the authority that was God's and manipulate it, okay? Friend, I'm speaking about some serious things today, some deep things. And people can be operating in witchcraft without even realizing it, okay? Because the scripture says in 1 Samuel that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And if you have a deep insecurity, if you have a deep uh, rejection, and that's not resolved, it can actually lead to rebellion. And we're going to study Saul's life shortly. That's King Saul. But the shame, fear, and control mechanism goes on all the time. Everybody's pretending to be fantastic on Facebook or whatever else. I'm okay, you're okay, we're all okay, right? No, we're not all okay. Very few of us have the courage to look inwardly and address the shortcomings that we have in our lives, but we can't fix them ourselves. The fig leaf isn't going to hide the issue from God. The fig leaf's a joke, okay? God can see through the veneer. He can see through your showy attitude of having it all together and go, no, when you were hurt when you were 11 years of age, that's never been resolved still, and that's why you're acting the way you do. And friend, if that's you, if you feel convicted or uh, just exposed today and you feel shame rising up say Lord heal me touch my heart show me the area Lord and I believe that friend as you ask the Lord this he is going to heal you friend and I'm going to pray before this entire teaching is out I'm going to pray for you that you be healed so stay tuned amen and then we have the scales of guilt and shame on one side of the of the scale we have blame and on the other side we have guilt and shame Some people feel guilt because of offense that they have caused you. But instead of asking you for forgiveness, they blame you instead for it. Oh, well, I'm doing this because, you know, it's your fault. I I behave the way I do because you're making me and, uh, huh, what? How can that be possible? You can't make someone do that. That's their choice. Everybody has free will. Everybody is responsible for their own choices in life, okay? People who want to be victims want to blame everybody for everything and they never want to look in the mirror. Friend, it's getting salty, okay? Some people are so rejected, they never want to admit fault. They will even deny reality, deny reality rather than admitting fault for themselves. And this is how abuse begins in relationships. The other person is getting blamed for everything, but the abuser is never admitting fault, never admitting his or her own accountability. So what happens is with this scale, when you forgive someone, they no longer have anyone to blame. This tips the scale and blame lifts up, right? So there's no blame anymore. And on the other side, guilt and shame comes tumbling down on that person's head. Because then they got no one to blame, man. You've already said, you know what, I forgive you. So there's no one to blame, right? So then they have to deal with their own conscience. And some people can't deal with their own conscience, friend. They don't want to look in the mirror. The thought of looking in the mirror for their own actions and being accountable to God's word and being a doer of the word of God instead of a hearer only, that is too painful for them. Remember that guilt is knowing that you have sinned or committed an offense. Shame is a condition of humiliation or disgrace caused by guilt. Blame Finds fault or holds responsible somebody, often others, to avoid feeling guilt. Some people don't want to feel the guilt or even the conviction of the Holy Spirit, who's reminding them that some issues need to be dealt with. They're in denial, okay? Not only is denial a river in Egypt, it's a place where people go when they don't want to face their problems, amen? So, what are the three ways that people respond to rejection? I would say there's three ways. And friend, when I'm going through this list, ask yourself, does any of this resonate with you? Can you relate to any of these three categories of people? Number one, some people are defensive, right? They're like a cat. This person builds a wall around themselves for protection. Consequently, they're unable to experience intimacy from others or from God, okay? You could point something out in their life. They get upset very rapidly. Who, who are you talking to? Don't talk to me like that. you got your own problems too. It's not just me. They're defensive, okay? It's like they want to lash out. They don't take criticism very well. Even if it's constructive criticism, they just can't take it, okay? And people are defensive, right? Then we have the second category, which is the fighter. Man, the fighter is so wounded, he fights everything and everyone. They think of every person as a threat because every person has wounded them, therefore all people are a potential threat. And this rejection leads to resentment, bitterness, and even hatred, and eventually rebellion, as I mentioned in King Saul's case. First Samuel 15:23 says, "Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, in reference to King Saul. He was insecure, okay, friend, we're going to talk about him shortly. But the ones who appear to have it all together on the outside often don't. So do not be deceived by outward appearance, but God looks at the heart, Amen. Now, the third person uh, who responds to rejection does it passively. And this is perhaps the most dangerous of all, because it's almost like internally they've given up. They offer no resistance to evil. They just don't resist. They just go with a crowd, anything for acceptance, okay? But they choose the path of self-destruction, of addiction, of cutting, hurting themselves, and eventually suicide, accepting the thought that they're better off dead than feeling the pain of living. Oh, friend, if you're a teenager listening to me, stop cutting yourself. You're cutting the temple of God. Don't do it, okay? Get in your Bible, crack it open, shout out to God and say, Lord, touch my heart. Be earnestly seeking the Lord. Be hungry, be thirsty, okay? You've got nothing to lose, friend. You've got your whole life ahead of you. You're a teenager for heaven's sake. You've got so much ahead of you. You're only beginning your journey with God, okay? And the wonderful things that he has planned for you. Don't be passive, friend. Passivity doesn't gain any kind of victory, neither does it overcome. So, the three categories of those who respond to rejection are either defensively, they fight, or they're passive. And I would say to you, friend, don't be any of those. Say, Lord, I'm going to respond in the same way Jesus did, and the Holy Spirit is going to help me. Amen? So, let's get back to Saul. King Saul. Scripture records that on three occasions King Saul rebelled against the word of the Lord directly. Despite being head and shoulders above everyone else, in 1 Samuel 10 verse 23 through 24, he looked like a king, man. He was head and shoulders. He was looking like the dude. However, in his heart, Saul was insecure, and this manifested eventually in rebellion. And this is a word of caution for us. I even believe, what, Saul was hiding in the baskets or whatever? I need to go and check it there. Before I spat out on the radio, and just ad-lib, but he was hiding, wasn't he, under the rugs or in the blankets or something, because he's like, hey, we're going to announce the king, and Saul's like, hiding, you know. There's an indication something's not right there, friend. So the first instance was that his children would lose their kingly heritage that they could have had. Okay, Saul could have carried on through Jonathan and that lineage, but in 1 Samuel 13, Saul makes an offering as king when he should have waited for Samuel. He stepped outside of his anointing. He stepped outside of his office, and that was to his detriment. He didn't wait, okay? And impetuous people, (laughs) I'm getting convicted, but impatient people are often struggling sometimes with insecurity or rejection because they're not waiting on the Lord. They're not believing that God can come through for them, right? Then number two, Saul's ministry and kingship was stripped from him, very sad, in First Samuel 15, because he did not destroy all of the Amalekites as the Lord commanded. He didn't wipe out everything. But number three, Saul's physical life was cut short as the Lord delivered him into the hand of the Philistines to die with his son Jonathan in First Samuel 28. Friend, rebellion can actually lead to our lives being cut short. And I've talked about that on previous broadcast about is there a time to die. But friend, rebellion really commences in the teenage years. And the way a teenager responds to his parents will soon be the way that he or she responds to God's authority. You see, all levels of authority are going to be tested by the rebel, right? And really, the, the classic example of this is, you know, the teenager who's rebellious and he can't stand his parents. And he's like, you know, I can't stand living with my parents. He's always fighting them, not tidying up his room. You know, he's had a little taste of rebellion. He's testing the boundaries of authority. And What does he say? You know, I can't stand this. I'm going to go and join the army wait a minute, dude, you're going to join the army, you're going to exchange one meager level of authority for a much bigger measure of authority. The generals, the the majors, those in authority, the sergeant majors are going to grind you to dust if you resist them. They are going to put up a fuss, get in your face, physically, mentally, and emotionally discipline you until you conform to their measure of authority. And friend, we should obey authority by default, unless that authority is causing us to disobey God's word, of course. But generally, we should submit to authority figures in our lives. But we'll pick this up tomorrow.
0: You've been listening to Carl Joseph and the Lions Unchained podcast. Carl is a minister who's witnessed God's supernatural power to save, heal, and deliver. Carl is a unique researcher who investigates current affairs, societal trends, technology, cults, and end time events— all through a biblical lens every monday new podcasts are uploaded so stay tuned for the next opportunity to roar into victory check out carl joseph ministries.com for exciting articles teachings and discussion points see you next week and don't forget to hit the subscribe button